Hello and welcome to Tales from Wisteria Lane, the podcast where we give you a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. We are the boyfriends, I'm Billy Ray. And I'm Joel. And today we're going to be talking about Season 4, Episode 7, You Can't Judge a Book by Its Cover. Although most people do. Because what's the point of a cover? Exactly. (laughs) So for those of you that are new, we take it in turns as to how we present the show. This episode, I'm going to be doing the outline of the show, and Joel is going to be giving us the trivia and the personality. Do you have anything to start us off with? As always. So yes, this episode was written by Anna Flett Giordano, excuse the pronunciation because that may have been incorrect, and Chuck Randberg, and it was directed by David Warren. It originally aired on November the 11th, 2007. So, what happens if you were born in 2007, I hear you ask? If you were born in 2007, according to the Chinese zodiac, you were born in the year of the pig, and people with this sign are nice and good-mannered. Your flower is the chrysanthemum, Chrysanthemum, thank you, and the birthstone for November is topaz and citrine, and the topaz symbolises love and affection, and the citrine is known as the healing quartz for its ability to promote vitality and energy to the wearer. Cute. Good for you, November 2007, babies. Yeah, the ruling planet for us Scorpios, because I am also a Scorpio, was, or is, Pluto, not was. That's sad. I think it might be was. No, no, because haven't they brought Pluto back to being a planet again now? I don't know. I should really follow NASA on Twitter. Yeah. I swear they they got rid of Pluto being a planet and then they brought it back, maybe. The sad, ignored child. So, as well as being the day before my 15th birthday, as we said last week, Bleeding Love was the top of the charts, and it still is. In the UK. Still remains in the UK, alongside Rule the World by Take That as number two, Apologise by Timberland and One Republic as number three, Mark Ronson and Amy Winehouse as Valerie is number four which is a great song, Rest in Peace to Amy Winehouse, and Sugar Babes About You Now, which is number five. Oh, yes, yeah, so that's gone down in the charts. Yeah. The top movie at the box office on November 11th, 2007 was The Bee Movie. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> which is one of my all-time favourite movies in the world. If you haven't watched it, go watch it. It's incredible. I can't believe you found a way <laughs> to put Bee Movie into our podcast. So the episode title, You Can't Judge a Book by Its Cover, is taken from the song Simple from Stephen Sondheim's musical Anyone Can Whistle, which is a lie, not everyone can whistle. We did that in a previous episode, we Peppa did. Pig cannot whistle. Peppa Pig cannot. The French translates to trickery, the French Canadian is the art of trickery, the German is faint, the Hebrew is it's not how it looks, the Hungarian and the Spanish are don't judge by appearances or do not judge by appearances. In this episode, Brie and Orson are invited to a bris. Now, what is a bris? Some of you that are not Jewish may ask, because it is a Jewish tradition. A bris is also known as a Brit Mila, and is the Jewish ceremony in which a baby boy is circumcised, which dates back to the book of Genesis, when God commands Abraham to circumcise himself and his offspring as a sign of the covenant between the Jews and God. Circumcising yourself does not sound like the one. <laughs> I know, that wasn't exactly a very easy task that you submitted upon to the guy. No, that's just, it. no, no. So traditionally, the Brit Miler takes place on the baby's eighth day of life, even if it falls on the Shabbat or a Jewish holiday. However, if medical problems intervene, then the bris is postponed until the baby is deemed healthy enough. But the main difference between a bris and what Brie was just genuinely wanting, which was a circumcision, is that the bris is a ritual. Yeah, it's part of the Jewish ceremony. Yeah, uh, a circumcision is not necessarily seen as a ritual, it's just as seen as a simple surgery, as it were. Yeah. This episode sees the introduction of two of Lynette's sisters, although I only recognised one, so I need to trivia on one. I apologise. Damn it. 
Because I was always do, already doing a lot of trivia, so I had to kind of cut down a little bit. So, uh, Sarah Paulson is Lydia, one of Lynette's more um, weaker siblings, let's say. Hey, I'm not the weak one. <laughs> and you guys will probably mostly know Sarah Paulson for films such as What Women Want, uh, The Notorious Betty Page, New Year's Eve, 12 Years a Slave, Ocean's 8 and Bird Box. No to all but the last two for me. <laughs> and television is, she originally starred in a TV series called American Gothic, which I don't think did very well. And Jack and Jill, before moving on to Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, American Horror Story, which is I think what she's most known for within sort of the fandom. Oh yeah. Um, American Crime Story, which was the telling of O.J. Simpson, the show of O.J. Simpson. And most recently, Ratchet, where she obviously plays Ness Ratchet. And that show it's, uh, was pretty ratchet. It, yeah, it wasn't not... It wasn't the greatest show in the world. Um, the two scenes in this episode where Gabby knocks Victor overboard with the oar was <laughs> shot in one take. Excellent. So, love that for Gabby. And something I noticed, which was all of the Scarvo's names begin with the letter P, just like all of the sort of Lynette and her siblings' names begin with L. Yeah. Lynette, Lydia, and Lucy. There seems to be a very letter-dominated kind of vibe going on. Susan and Sophie? Yeah, Susan and Sophie. Okay, so previously, Danielle had her baby. Catherine told everyone that Dylan's dad did something terrible. Lynette got news about her cancer. Good news. Yeah, good news. Good news. (laughs) We saw Mike start to take pills in secret. Mm. Victor tried to make things better with Gabby, and Edie showed Victor a photo of Gabby and Carlos kissing yeah we really did say that mike takes a pill in this episode and it doesn't come up for ages and it's literally the next episode (laughs) yeah i thought this storyline wasn't for like the next season yeah i thought it took a while to get to this storyline so sometimes (laughs) sometimes storylines get jumbled in your head with um these kind of shows yeah 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 so to start off surprise surprise victor isn't above using deception and we get a montage of some of the shady things he does for his political pursuits Mm -hmm. now he knows what gabby has been up to and we get this really stunning shot with really fantastic lighting he's just waiting at home for gabby and he's he's sitting in like shadows but he's got some light shining onto him as if through blinds like in a noir film i knew you would mention the lighting i knew you would love it oh it was good gabby walks in and gets a call from carlos who is trying to get her back but Gabby's making it quite clear that it's over. But before Gabby realises that Victor is standing right there, and she has to hang up the phone, calling Carlos a creep on, on the phone and pretending that it was a call from Brie. Yeah. <laughs> when she leaves, Victor checks her phone and sees that it was in fact Carlos on the phone. When she comes back, he says that they should go on a secret boat ride together, and Mary Alice narrates that Victor, what Victor wants now is revenge. Yeah. Like, Gabby, you can't just leave your phone lying around. Yeah, that Such was... Such a rookie uh, mistake. Poor play. The lighting really makes us, like, they, they really wants us to think that Victor's about to slice Gabby into little pieces. Yeah, the show knows how to make him look sinister. Yeah. Like with the fireplace scene. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, but Gab- everyone could tell that it was not Brie that she was on the phone to. Yeah, you creep. That was just Brie. <laughs> you were a model, not a model slash actress. <laughs> I don't know why she lies so poorly. Because she's a model and not a model slash actress. Okay. So, Victor is so confident in his ability to get revenge, that he doesn't even need to plan this honeymoon. He literally goes to Gabby, you plan everything. <laughs> but he's so confident that no matter what Gabby plans, he will be able to kill her in some way, shape or form. But yeah. he's like, you plan it, go ahead. <laughs> At least go, that's it. what the show wants you to think anyway. Well, yeah, yeah, of course. But I'm just, <laughs> I just want to say, Mary Alice is a liar. Why? What Victor wants now is revenge, I don't think. Mm. Mary Alice, that was a lie. That was a misnomer. That was a red herring. That was a lie. It was an untruth, Mary Alice. You untruthed to us. She really did. Yeah. Aren't you supposed to be an angel? Angels don't lie. 
We then get the partial title sequence, and after that, Mary Alice says that the next day started with deception, which brings in the theme of the episode, if you will. <laughs> this episode started with deception, Mary Alice. Right? You you told the first lie, Mary. Yeah, it all follows your the domino effect. <laughs> mm. So the day started with deception, as Brie told everyone that she just gave birth to this baby, and all the ladies are pretending that Brie is so lucky with this new baby as it just screams and cries. Mm. That, so, yeah, lots of deception going on here. Conversation then changes to Lynette's results and she tells them the good news. Stella then comes downstairs to see what the noise is about and Stan comes downstairs. Seemingly Stella's hookup from last night. Great. Much to everyone's surprise. No, good for Stella. Goes. I mean, it must be very disturbing for Lynette, but good for Stella. At yeah. her age, still getting some, still going out and getting hooked up. Yeah, the only problem is bringing it back to your daughter's house <laughs> yeah well if that's where you're staying tom is especially disturbed as this stan guy is wearing his robe <laughs> yeah where did orson take the baby because brie was like take the baby to the other room kitchen and then it literally went silent yeah there was no more distant baby crying soundproofed or... house i guess yeah. <laughs> they then decide to go for a shower together um stan and stella yeah very disturbing so i bet it's getting susan very excited this screaming baby <laughs> Yeah, so Brie has also told everyone that she's given birth to this baby. Oh yeah, overnight. A big crier, which I guess isn't a surprise considering the mother. Yeah, it's Danielle's son, so... We then cut to Mike, who is super tired right now, but Susan is making him go to a thing. (laughs) Which results in him taking some pills. I I really know how Mike feels. I I I feel for him. Yeah. I mean, not with the drug use or you know overusing of these pills to to get by but the fact that he just come home and he's like i'm just i'm knackered i just i really don't have the energy i'm in pain and susan's like yeah susan's like shut the fuck up we're going (laughs) yeah susan's like we've already we've already made the plan yeah so i cancel last minute i do feel for mike yeah it's a tough situation but pop some pills be on your way that's that's mike's whole attitude here yeah he's like fine fine you you make me want to take these pills susan (laughs) but we'll come back to this yeah we're now at Bree's with Bree, Orson, Susan and Mike having dinner together and talking about baby stuff. Yeah. Turns out that all of the scores are super expensive. One of them is $10,000 a year. And apparently you need to sign up now while you're still pregnant. So bloody expensive. Right. Like, this is why I read an article. I think it might have been yesterday. It was like an American article about how millennials are basically creating a population decrease because they're not having children. Mm. Because... They can't afford it, yeah. world. We we can't afford children when house prices are the price they are. And people in America are getting paid like $12 an hour. And they also have to pay for healthcare and things like that. Yeah. Why should our generation have to do any of these things until the world gets sorted out? Exactly. Frankly. Why would I want to bring a child into this world when it's messed up? Exactly. I'm already struggling in this world. So imagine what it's going to be like in 20 more years for my children when they get to my age. Or imagine what it would be like if we have to fork out even more money to spend on kids. Yeah. Yeah. So even like preschool or nursery as we call it in the uk uh is ridiculously expensive this then leads to a conversation about circumcision which orson quite straight up disagrees with calling it mutilation but brie is all for it she says it's clean well that's about what she says i don't know why i started as if i was going for a list there yeah she really like she just she tries to list off a whole load of reasons but stops it clean yeah and then Orson says that he's still traumatised by his circumcision, as apparently his mum took him to have it in secret and his dad disapproved. And we have a clip. It's just that I remember my own circumcision so vividly. <laughs> well, that's ridiculous. My parents disagreed on this issue too. My dad said no. So mother just bided her time until he finally left town on business. I was five. 
Ouch. She told me we were going for ice cream. That's why the procedure should be done on babies. They won't remember. Following that, Susan's brought dessert and it's ice cream. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> of all the desserts to bring, did she just bring a tub of ice cream? She probably did just bring a tub of ice cream. Oh, well, everyone knows that Susan can't cook or bake, so don't, like, if you're going to ask Susan to bring anything, don't expect something homemade. Exactly, bring wine. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> there are very few instances where I agree with Awesome, but this is one of them. Same. And it doesn't surprise me that this happened. We've all met Gloria. Yeah. That's a very Gloria thing to do. Yeah, Orson had an unfortunate experience, it sounds. Yeah. Is he Norman Bates? Why does he still call her mother? I don't know. Oh, oh I think because they're, they're very, like, upper class. Yes. Osh. Yeah. So, and they stick with mother and father. Mothers took me to have a circumcision. So, I'm sorry, Bree, but cleanliness has nothing to do with it. Like, it's, call it what it is, it's genital mutilation, and the fact that you only do it on babies so that a child won't remember only reinforces the fact that it shouldn't be done. Yeah, we come, we get a bit more about Bree's thoughts on circumcision later, her more truthful thoughts. Yeah. We'll, we'll get there, but... We'll talk more about this in a bit. Yeah. So a moment later, Mike is in the kitchen taking some more pills when Bree walks in on him and Mike explains that he still has some pain from the accident a couple of years ago. A big surprise to Bree, who, after Mike walks back into the dining room, finds one of the pills on the floor and she decides to do some investigating. Detective Bree's on the case. There's actually quite a bit of... De- there's not quite a bit, but there's some detective work going on in this episode, which I really liked. Yeah. You got Bree and you got Dylan. Detective Bree is on the case... And no one is safe I know. when Detective Bree's around. <laughs> We've got our Nancy Drews over here. <laughs> Love it. See what she can find out. So Gabby and Victor are getting on the boat, and it turns out that Victor had to let the crew go. So he's going to be the one driving the boat and doing all of the work, apparently. That's suspicious. It's just Gabby and Victor yeah. alone. Mm-hmm. But Gabby obviously doesn't know it becomes, he knows. It becomes more and more suspicious. Like in the previous scene, he's like, let's just go away and tell nobody. Yeah. We'll tell nobody where we're going. And now he's like, oh, we've got the boat, but it's just to ourselves. But Gabby doesn't know that he, what he knows. No. So to her, it's probably just romantic. Well, yeah, that's what she's thinking it is, even though she is a mood. And she's like, you've fired the staff. Like, who's going to bring us umbrella drinks and salute? Yeah. <laughs> Priorities. <laughs> Which is true. But, you know, little dump of information there with Gabby taking sailing lessons. Mm. Like she took a couple of lessons in the past, Victor said. So very Rachel. Remember that. It is very Rachel. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I was going to say, that's important for later. She's just like, won't we... But I didn't pay attention to the lessons. Like, won't we be bored? And I'm just like, Gabby, you won't feel boredom when you're dead. <laughs> or when you're drinking. Oh, well, yeah, that too. And surely it's illegal to drive a... Or like sail a boat when you've been drinking. You'd think. Just because I imagine, but I don't know. But there is also less traffic on the sea, so maybe they're a bit more relaxed with that rule. As long as you're sober when you're pulling up again. Yeah. (laughs) We cut to Lynette and Stella, and Lynette is telling Stella how bad she feels about Stella having to put her life on hold at the moment. Stella says that she doesn't mind, so Lynette gives up being coy and just tells Stella that she has to leave and you know go back to her own place or find her own place because of the smoking and the drinking, not just because of the fact that she brought a man home with her. Lynette says she can get a new place with all her money, but apparently Stella gave it all to Lynette and Tom, and also Lynette's sister Lucy kicked her out. Mm. She says Lynette's cancer couldn't have come at a better time. Not to put too fine a point on it, Lynette, but your cancer couldn't have come at a better time. <laughs> 
So Stella is in some dire straits. Stella is. And like, this just feels a little bit shitty. Of Lynette. Of Lynette. Like, literally, you've been cured. If Not that you can really say you're cured, but you've been cured of cancer for like two days and you're kicking your mother out. Yeah, I know. Because I, I thought they were getting closer. Yeah. Mended some bridges and all that. And she's like, thanks for all your help. I'm fine now. Get out. Yeah. Can you please leave? So, <laughs> and, like, she was teaching Lynette's children how to make cocktails. Mm. That is a skill you can take to the bank. Professional cocktail makers can make a lot of money. Yeah, she was like, it's mixology, it's a science. It's a science. And Stella is helping Lynette's kids learn a valuable trade. <laughs> One I wish I knew how to do. So yeah, a little shady. Mm. A little shady. Yeah. Julie comes up to Susan and asks for help with a school paper, saying that she needs to know more about Dylan's dad, as Catherine doesn't want to talk to Dylan about it. So yeah, Dylan needs help with the paper. Apparently it's all to do with genes and family trees. Yeah. Susan then tells Julie that at the charades party, Catherine said that Dylan's dad was abusive, and so maybe Dylan should do her report on someone else. It really didn't take Julie much to get this info out of her mum. No. She uh, was like, are oh, we surprised? do you have any information on Dylan's dad? Well, don't <laughs> tell anyone, but... Right. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Susan just loves the gossip. Yeah. Julie goes into the other room to tell Dylan this, but she already heard it. I thought Julie was supposed to be the smart one, and she's having this conversation about Dylan's dad around dylan it's such a horrible way for dylan to find this stuff out yeah and she also doesn't know about Bree's baby not being Bree's baby after the last episode so julie sometimes isn't the smartest that's true well we say she doesn't know maybe she's just doing the smart thing and not mentioning anything maybe maybe julie is the smartest yeah who knows <laughs> so Bree is doing some investigating love that and she's looking for a book of pills with um pictures and descriptions of their weights and stuff trying to find out what the pill is that she found mike taking mm. it seems to be a pill called admin ademin ademin although there doesn't seem to be any info on what it does in the shot that we see so we're kind of left wondering what it is yeah. so she calls susan to arrange for them to meet up for a chat but don't worry because we find out pretty much right away yeah pretty much really straight away so mike comes home and says he only has an hour until his next job and he starts to go upstairs until Susan just blurts out, Brie thinks you're doing drugs and shows him the pill that Brie found, saying that she looked it up and apparently it's a highly addictive narcotic. Susan really threw Brie under the bus, didn't she? She's like, Brie ratted you out. Yeah, Susan isn't good under pressure, but also not good not under pressure. She's just not good. <laughs> she's not good with secrets or information. Mike's never going to come to Brie for anything again. He's just going to think she's some big mouth bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Mike does, however, say that it's prescription, which does ease Susan's mind, who was spiralling. She doesn't even question why he never told her that he's on medication and how she just hasn't ever known. <laughs> yeah, like, Mike's excuse is very reasonable and well thought out, but it's, and yeah. that would create more suspicion to me i'm like you've already thought about this right you've, you were prepared for me asking you so it's a prescription drug that i just haven't known about for the past two years he was like well um uh, about eleven twenty-eight p.m on tuesday the 22nd <laughs> i was doing mrs mccluskey's pipes and i really hurt my shoulder in actual fact it was this right here this part of the shoulder and it's been hurting ever since and then i went to the doctors exactly two days later and got these i was like mike <laughs> <laughs> too specific like too specific yeah but susan doesn't seem to call it out no I, I get susan i go crazy as well like i'm a warrior it's in my nature if i call b and he doesn't answer then i start to immediately be like oh my god what if he's been in an accident what's what's the problem what's going on so i get it yeah but yeah i think susan's a little bit naive in this respect in just taking what he said at face value she's probably just accepting it because she doesn't want to believe the worst yeah 
So Brie is at the hospital and asks who she can talk to about getting her baby circumcised, and she's taken into the doctor's office. The doctor then says that they can't do the operation, and he shows her this letter that they received from Orson, saying that he doesn't want the baby circumcised. Circumcised, mm. sorry, I keep saying it weird. The doctor reads the letter, and it transitions into Brie reading the letter at home in front of Orson angrily. She, <laughs> It reads that if his wife asks for the circumcision to let her know that he also sent out this letter to doctors and physicians in two neighbouring states, saying that they don't want it. He doesn't want it. Touche, Orson. I see your move. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Brie is angry, and she's angry that he'd find it necessary at all, but Orson points out that it obviously was necessary. The, the fact that Brie's there like, I can't believe you don't trust me. Well, clearly, I was right not to. But... Yeah. She says that he's being unreasonable, but Orson just says that she's the one being unreasonable, asking what she has against untrimmed penises, as he puts it. And we actually do finally get the answer of why she doesn't like it, and she just says that they're unsightly. They're unsightly. Before saying that she worries that he'll be made fun of at school. Okay, yeah, okay, okay, we're delving into this, because who is going to tease him? He is a child. Nobody would tease a child about their penis, because nobody that would tease him should be looking at it. I'm assuming Uh, they'd see it in PE, when getting changed or something. Like, this argument... Have you not seen American films where the ladies in a rom-com will make fun of uncircumcised... <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it's like I don't understand. <laughs> it's just got a turtleneck. There's nothing wrong with turtleneck. But Orson points out that it's a painful procedure and it reduces sexual pleasure. So he just lays out the logic and the facts. He does. Like this argument by Brie is so flawed that by the time he's old enough to show men and or women his penis, he should be old enough to handle what they may say and react accordingly. Yeah, if you have some sort of medical condition or choose to have it removed for any reason, then fair enough. But Quite frankly, this procedure is a bit archaic. Yep, it's a choice that should be left down to the person itself about themselves to make when they are old enough to be able to actively make that decision. I know it's a tradition, it's a religious tradition, and I'm all for religious freedom and everything, but some practices can be left in the past. Like, we also don't stone people still. Yeah. So we don't, we, we, we don't, and we haven't for a long time, and although there are still some people that do it, I guess, do Chinese foot binding. Yeah. There's so much out there that we have left in the past because, like B says, they are so archaic. And the fact that female genital mutilation is so disgusted, and like, so it's such a negative thing, which is good, obviously, but the fact that you can not have that same attitude towards male genital mutilation is just, it boggles my mind. Yeah, so... um, This storyline is angering me. I'm fine with religious freedom and practices and ceremonies, but just... Can you just leave the or- these ones in the past? Yeah. Because they are not necessary. And Orson pretty much laid out the facts and figures for me. He he really did. Catherine comes home to find Dylan on a really old laptop. And this is a big tech throwback. I love Court doing these tech throwback moments because I've never seen a laptop this chunky. Have you not? No. Oh my God, that was like a normal laptop for me. Like I, I saw it, I was like, like, what the hell? The fact that I saw that laptop and didn't even register it as a tech throwback. Unfortunately, we don't have a sting for tech throwback yet. No, we don't. It's come up a few times, but I guess not very regularly. But I do want to get one. Yeah. I think the last time we did tech throwback was in the episode where the net was at work and there was a poster of all these old Nokia phones, but that was ages ago. Maybe, yeah, I think so. So, as I was saying, Catherine comes home, Dylan's on her chunky old laptop, and finds her typing in her dad's name. She explains the project, and Catherine quickly shuts down the laptop, telling her to find another project. But Dylan reopens the laptop to continue her investigation, and when Catherine tries to stop her again, Dylan stands up to her 
grabbing and swatting Catherine's hand away, just like Bree did to that old lady in episode one. Right. And telling her how angry she is to find out that Catherine was talking about her dad at a party when she wouldn't even talk to her about him. Yeah, Dylan's grown a bear since we last saw her. She has. She then says that she isn't afraid of her anymore. Mm. Oh, Knock that lady down a peg, Dylan. Oh, Dylan, I'm so proud of you. Catherine's losing control, and you can see the fear in her eyes at the end of this scene. Yeah, and I, as much as I like Catherine at the end, she's been an abusive mum, and yeah. I'm, I'm pretty happy that Dylan's standing up yeah, for herself. Yeah, it's, it's about time Dylan stood up for herself and mm. did something. We then cut to Susan, who is telling Bree the story that Mike told her, and I really like this scene. Bree takes this moment to show Susan the bread maker where she used to hide bottles of Chardonnay when everyone thought that she was sobering up. She doesn't get her point across to Susan, though, so she um, shows her her spice rack, the spinning spice rack, which apparently could hold those really tiny airplane bottles of vodka. Eight spices? Some of them must be doubles. <laughs> oh, God, no, what the hell? What the hell? <laughs> Susan is adamant that Mike wasn't lying as he looked her in the eye, but Reese says that addicts are experts at deception, relating back to the theme of the episode, mm-hmm. and advises her to trust but verify. All this while making homemade lemonade, by the way, because it's Brie. It's Brie, and she's a queen. Like, Brie knows addiction, so listen to her and take her advice. I like that they are relating back to that storyline with Brie. Yeah, with like, the- it's it's kept consistent. Brie was an alcoholic, and they have kept that she doesn't drink, and yeah, I like that. Yeah, she doesn't drink, and she's telling about where she used to hide her stuff, which I hope doesn't give people ideas. But also, <laughs> yeah, right, it's right. cool that, it's kind of cool that she's saying... Like, addicts will hide things and deceive you, and, like, Mm. this is just some examples. And I was like, oh, cool, cool. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. (laughs) I liked that. It was a good scene. I really enjoyed this scene. Susan then goes home to look through everything. (laughs) By chucking everything around the house and making it obvious that she's been looking as well. Like, she doesn't look at something and then put it back. No. She's, like, throwing shit all over the place. (laughs) Yeah, so you've got Brie and Dylan doing their you know, their best Miss Marple impressions. Yeah. And then you got Susan over here just walking in like drunk Jessica Jones, breaking the doors. Yeah, she's like coming in like she's some drunk person that's, you know, been left behind by Mystery Inc. And she's like throwing shit around like, Scooby, find <laughs> find right. the pills. Yeah. Eventually, she does find a big bag of pills in this pretty big empty torch. Mm. It's not a bad idea. What? Like keeping the them in a torch. Yeah. yeah, it was a pretty smart idea. Yeah. But Susan would never use a torch. No, I know, right? And so I love that Susan went pretty much straight to the flower tin. And she was like digging around in the flower tin. <laughs> right? Maybe it's Susan, not actually Susan flower. Susan would never use the flower. Maybe it's not actually flower. Oh my God. Maybe it's ground up pills. Because he's like, Susan never bakes. She's not going to put them in anything. Why do they have flour? I don't know. Maybe Julie likes to bake. For like home ec. <laughs> home ec. Julie will have home ec classes. Yeah, true. <laughs> Which in my mind would be like, oh, this must be Julie's flower. I You're won't a- put my pills in here. <laughs> Lynette is in a diner or, or a cafe with Stella and also her sister Lydia, played by the amazing Sarah Paulson. Mm-hmm. This is the first scene we get with her, who asks why they didn't invite Lucy. But Lynette just says that she's busy. <laughs> Maybe I did invite Lucy. What's it to you? We will find out why they didn't invite Lucy in a bit, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stella instantly asks if Lydia is seeing anyone, which I thought was hilarious. And Lydia says, no, no one I want to tell you about. <laughs> so clearly all of the kids still have this awkward relationship with her. Yeah. Still. Oh, still alone. <laughs> when Stella leaves the table, um, Lydia tells Lynette that she isn't falling for this manipulation and Stella is not moving back in with her. And we have a clip. I know what this is and I'm not doing it. What? What? We're having lunch. She's not moving back in. I resist your attempts to manipulate me. Nobody is manipulating you. My boundaries are strong. I know what I want, and I deserve to be happy. 
have you got there? Are you reading from something? Okay. As soon as you invited me to lunch, I called my therapist. And he told me you'd try to guilt me into taking mom back, but... I will not be emotionally blackmailed. Give me that. <laughs> she brought cards with her. Lydia is everything. She wrote down what her therapist said to her yeah. on the cards. <laughs> Obviously, they're using it for a laugh. I do find it a bit sad, though, that obviously her family stresses her out so much yeah. that she's had to call her therapist and write down these things. It is, it is really sad. sad. Like, just, I have her. <laughs> just, I love her. I love Lydia so much. <laughs> it's Sarah Paulson. How can you not? Yeah, I know. The gays love Sarah. We do. Uh, <laughs> if you haven't already, although we're not really the biggest fans of Ellen, you should go on, because Sarah Paulson and Ellen are quite close, and Sarah Paulson's always on Ellen, and Ellen is always terrifying her, and she's so easily scared, so you should find a YouTube video just to watch Sarah Paulson and get herself like shit scared which is funny because she's on american horror story yeah right <laughs> lydia says that while stella lived with her she gained weight stella put her through four different hairstyles and one time she even brought home some guy from the bar and annette pretends that she isn't like that now she's not like that anymore <laughs> but lydia isn't interested no lynette decides to go a little crazy and hatch her plan here as well she sneakily opens the boot of lydia's car and then when Stella comes back, Lynette runs outside, grabs all of Stella's suitcases and takes them from her car and puts them into Lydia's. And then Lynette just drives away. Yeah, right now. Like, this is so shitty. Like, your sister, Lynette, is clearly <laughs> traumatised by your mother and is not mentally strong enough to handle her right now. And, like, this is your mother and you're just treating her like some unwanted present that you just keep re-gifting to each other. Yeah, Lynette is so shady. Yeah. She's like, L Lucy's never going to take her in a million years, but I can probably win with this with, with, with the weak one. Yeah, Lydia's weak. I can, <laughs> I can get through to her. Yes. <laughs> so horrible. We then cut to Carlos, who's going over to Edie's to collect a painting when she left at hers. She hands it over with this big old hole in it. <laughs> Quite clearly a punch or a kick hole, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I, I don't really get modern art either. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand modern art either. <laughs> Carlos then says, Edie, I know you're angry. And Edie says that she isn't anywhere near as angry as Victor was when she told him about Gabby and Carlos. Mm. He was enraged. Oof. Yeah, just be glad ripping a hole into his painting is all... That's all she did. That's not all she did, though. She told Victor. Well, no, I know. But, like, all she did to his stuff. Yeah. That's all she did to Carlos's stuff. What, what horrible... Just what a horrible, violent act on this art. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, it wasn't that good anyway. No, yeah, it was okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we then cut to Gabby on the boat as she gets a phone call from Carlos, who tells her that Victor knows. She doesn't believe him at first until she sarcastically asks, if he's so mad, then why did he take me on a boat trip? And then it sinks in that she's on a boat in the middle of some open waters, alone with an angry politician. Like, just don't even... Why are you even answering the phone to Carlos when Victor is around? Because she's not very bright. Like, it's like you want to get caught. Like, if you're going to play with fire, girl, then play with it right. <laughs> yeah. Victor then walks in, and she says that she was just talking to Bree. I don't know why Bree's always her go-to. Because they're best friends. I said this at the beginning of, like, our very... <laughs> like, our podcast when we first started it, that the greatest friendship in this TV series, in my opinion, is Brie and Gabby. Yeah, that's true. And Victor says that they agreed on total privacy and takes her phone. Mm. We then cut to him cutting some cheese and bread with this massive kitchen knife. And Gabby says that she's cold and maybe they should go home. But Victor says they're not going anywhere and tells her that he knows everything. With Gabby making shitty defences. Oh, yeah. In my defense, you were never around. Gabby, Yeah, <laughs> take responsibility. He then reaches down and grabs this bag and says that he brought something for her. And Gabby gets all freaked out by this and decides to whack him over the head with an oar. Fierce. And he falls into the water. He um, 
swims back up and he screams for her in the water, but she just drives the boat off, leaving him in the water. Who thinks of this shit? Like, whacking him with an oar? Fierce. It's just so fierce. I can't, I can't not. Hilarious. Probably just the first thing that she found. Yeah. The scene is fantastic. I mean, I, Victor really did shut her up, didn't he? <laughs> he was like, ugh, now I've got to listen to your whining. And then he goes to grab the bag. It's, this is so funny. Just him floating on that water. Yeah, <laughs> yelling for Gabby while she's driving. <laughs> is it a hit and run? I don't know. <laughs> Technically, yes. She did hit him and then she ran off. Yeah. But like this was mentioned earlier, Gabby took sailing lessons. If she hadn't have taken those sailing lessons. Hopefully he's a good swimmer. Mm-hmm. Dylan comes downstairs and asks what Catherine is holding because she's just sitting in the kitchen looking a bit mopey with some paper. And she tells her that it's all the information that she needs to find her father. Dylan thanks her, but Catherine tells her to promise her that she can't bring her dad home or tell her where she is, as in can't tell her where Catherine is. Dylan asks why, and she says that the last time she saw her dad, uh, she was leaving him and that he would slap her around a bit. And she cries while she explains how bad the night was and says that he was choking her and the last thought in her head was what would happen to Dylan if I died. She then hands the info over to Dylan who tells Catherine that she's going to ask for another assignment from the teacher and she gives back the paper to Catherine and walks upstairs. When she does go upstairs, Catherine opens up the paper to reveal an empty page. She was... That was a risky game, Catherine, but devious. Yeah. Catherine knew what she was doing and she knew that Dylan would fall for it. Catherine knows how to manipulate her child. I don't know whether to be impressed or disgusted. Both. Like, I'm, I'm both. I'm, I'm <laughs> impressed, disgusted, and a little bit turned on. Oh, no. <laughs> That's worrying. <laughs> but I do feel for Dylan. Like, mm. She just wants to know about her father. And to be told that he was not a nice person really does shatter all those sort of preconceived notions that you have about a person that you look up to. Yeah, or, or you just want to know. Yeah, like, all you know, people that they feel they're supposed to look up to because everyone else around you looks up to that same person. Like, growing up, everybody else around me looked up to their dad. I didn't have that to look up to. And then to find out that he was not a very nice person shattered all those preconceived notions of hoping that he was a nice person. Mm. And then to find out that he wasn't, and then I look around at all these people that are looking up to these really lovely dads, it's, yeah, it's it's a tough thing to have to come to terms with. So yeah. I do feel for Dylan. Yeah, I can imagine. Mm. But yeah, so I do I do feel for Dylan, though. But, you know, is Catherine doing what's best for Dylan? Who knows? We don't know yet. I guess it depends on what happened in Chicago, maybe? Yeah, Chicago. Know. It depends what happened in Chicago. We cut to Lynette, who is throwing toys down at the kids, telling them that they have to keep the treehouse clean. And we then see Lydia pulling up outside her house with Lucy, as well as Stella and all of Stella's suitcases. Lucy is Lynette's other sister, who is played by... Well, it was Joel's turn to do the trivia, and I hoped that he would look her up, but he didn't. I didn't, I'm afraid. Sorry. But B knows her, B recognises her. I'm pretty sure this is the same actor that plays the waitress in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, so you might recognise her from that. Mm. And Lucy then says this great line, You may have been able to strong-arm the weak one, but not me. <laughs> I'm not the weak one. <laughs> Lynette then threatens her, saying that she's won every fight that they've ever had before, and then they decide to take it inside, and we get the shot of Stella with a little music cue that basically implies that maybe she isn't very happy about the whole situation. Yeah, but I mean, poor Stella. Which I think is fair enough, considering that she's done, she's had a lot of growth and change throughout the last few episodes, so yeah. Stella's probably feeling a little bit sad, she's considering not, that she's put all this work in. She's not perfect, but having to listen to her daughters talk about her this way... Well, she probably thinks that she's made up for a lot of things with her actions. Yeah, for Lynette at least. So she's probably quite 
shocked and surprised about the whole thing really mm. all right here we go here's here's a little sort of push the boat out question so i've got three siblings and b's got three siblings so out of the three of you i have two siblings oh as i'm including myself i've got two siblings and b's got two siblings sorry <laughs> it's including myself in that so out of you guys who would you say is the weak one the weak one yeah in what way who would you say is the lydia in <laughs> out of think... you and your siblings i don't think there is a lydia <laughs> Oh, well, that wasn't that was fun. <laughs> I, I just, I d- we don't have that kind of dynamic. That well, these, you sh- you sisters, these I, we don't have the dynamic that these sisters have. Mm. We get along mostly. Well, yeah, it still doesn't mean there isn't a weak one. I don't think there is a weak one. If I had to choose, it'd probably be me. I'll let him take him off the team. I'm the young because probably because I'm the youngest. Yeah, we don't know who the youngest and the oldest one is out of Lydia, Lucy, and Lynette. Mm, I'm assuming Lydia based on looks. Sorry. Yeah. What about you? And your siblings? <laughs> um, do you know what? I don't know who would be the weak one. You. It would be me. I'd like to. I'd like <laughs> to stand here and say I'm strong. I'm strong. I'm not the Lydia, but I am the kind of person that would also seek a therapist before I hang out with my family. <laughs> yeah. And even if your sister was the weak one, she lives in the north, so she never has to worry about anything like that. No, she doesn't really. So it all comes down to you and your brother. Yeah. So while Orson is having a nap on the sofa, Bree decides to sneak out with the baby and take him to a bris that they've been invited to. She shows up and she eventually approaches the, was it Moyle? Moyle, yeah. The Moyle, to request that he performs the circumcision on her baby. Um, He's obviously confused by the request and Bree, following this, makes up some stories, pretends to be Jewish and... (laughs) Lying to a priest, Bree. Well, a Moyle, but... Because he's not Catholic or Christian, she probably doesn't see it as much of a sin, maybe? Yeah. And he asks if she wouldn't want a proper ceremony with friends and family, but Bree makes up some more lies, saying that it needs to be now. He says that if he does this, then she has to raise the baby as a devout Jew, and Bree just straight up agrees to it. Yeah, well, she lies. But she doesn't technically lie. She says, I swear to you before God that I will raise this child to be as devout a Jew as I am. Oh, true. Oh, deception and wordplay. Yeah, so it's technically technically not a lie. But this, like, moyle just nobody comes to a bris for stand-up and he's there at the beginning like oh people ask why you wait eight days and they say oh because that's how long it takes to go do some caterer there's the chuckle for the audience i came here for genital <laughs> mutilation so get to the mutilating please i'm yeah. not here for stand-up oh. <laughs> we then comes home and tells orson what she's done and she doesn't seem to understand why orson is so angry yeah she's like well we went to the shops and then we did this and then we got a circumcision Just peppered it into it to make it worse, she then says, well, it's my blood running through his veins, so ultimately it's my decision. Yeah. Which leads Orson to ask how she sees him in this whole deception, this whole situation. Like, am I not the father in this? What am I? He's a manny. Bree then comes to the realisation that it's love that makes them a family and not blood, and hands Orson the baby saying, your son, in a symbolic gesture, before telling Orson his new Jewish name. Too late. I'm sorry, Bree. You can get emotional all you want, but if... If I was Orson, I think I would leave. Yeah, I'm quite surprised how this turned out because it had a, you know, it's all turned around. We've learned our mistakes kind of ending to the storyline as opposed to a bit more of a dramatic ending where Orson's annoyed. Yeah. When I first watched this episode, I was so angry. A mistake is uh, uh, putting them in or getting getting them a, their ears pierced without consulting the partner. 
always bringing it back to friends aren't you <laughs> no it's only because that's the only kind of blase kind of thing i can i wasn't even thinking of friends actually until you said it but um it's like getting your ears pierced without consulting a partner that could be deemed a mistake that's something i can get over but to mutilate our child's genitals after i have specifically stated no i am against it it is not happening that to me is like i know they've both put up with a lot from each other Orson and Brie, like they have both been very dramatic with each other, but this would be the straw that breaks this camel's back. Yeah, they've done a lot. They've put up with a lot from each other, a lot of lies, deceptions, fallacies, but (laughs) this is involving, um, well, and I quote there end quote child mm. yeah child. like just uh, Bree would have handed me my child and be like your son and i'd be like that ain't mine and also the way she was like well it's my blood running through his veins so it's up to me mm. i'd be like you know what i'm get- i'm leaving i'm leaving because how many more t- like, how many more times in the future will you throw that out there mm. to get what you want uh, no Bree, i'm sorry this didn't paint you in a good light yeah there's two things that Bree does in the entire show which i think are the worst things and this is one of them this is one of them and we will get one in the future don't worry i'm, I'm waiting for it i know it's coming eventually so gabby because <laughs> we're moving away from Bree for a bit yeah right now come on let's get off of Bree. so gabby is now on the pier with carlos and when he asks where victor is she says that she knocked him overboard pretty much so casually well i clapped him over the head and knocked him overboard (laughs) carlos is quite shocked by this and he comes up with a plan saying that he showed her the gun and and then she knocked him overboard and he asks if she still has the gun but gabby just gives this blank look Mm -hmm. carlos then looks in the bag where he was going to pull out the the gun or whatever he was going to pull out and he just finds a jumper (laughs) gabby then decides that they need to go back and find him because this was all a big misunderstanding. Help, my husband was coming after me with a sweater. <laughs> <laughs> the hell, Gabby? Carlos, Carlos, I'm just going to say it is a saint for rocking up. Yeah. After the way that Gabby has been behaving with him. Like, running so hot and cold, you never know where you're standing. First, she's sleeping with him and she loves him and she wants the affair. And then all of a sudden, now I'm trying with Victor. And then, again, she goes back to him. And then she goes back to Victor. And now she's called him again. This is the, like, third time. It's because he loves her. Yeah, but, like, saint for rocking up. Gabby's whole storyline is just here for comedy. At the moment, yeah. <laughs> at, just... at the moment. So, but to go back out there, it would be a miracle if she managed to remember whereabouts they were to begin with, let alone figure out the current and what possible direction Victor might have started swimming in. Because let's face it, Victor would not have just sort of stayed still, stayed still bobbing on the water. It would have to be a miracle, especially considering how dopey she's been here. Yeah. So we then cut to Stella, who is eavesdropping on the, well, on the net and the sisters. They're arguing over who should have Stella, and Lynette plays the family card and says that Lucy should have her because she's got this big house with just her and her husband. But apparently they're separating, so she can't do it either. Lydia says, oh. Well, no, no, that's not what's said. Sorry, that was loud. What? She says, oh, you got the house and the divorce. And she's like, no, 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 like, we're, we're just separated. We might be getting back together, but not if mum moves back in. Oh. <laughs> and then I just want to point out there is the cutest little sister moment right there between Sarah Paulson and Felicity Huffman, because when Lucy's like, we might be getting back together... Lynette and Lydia just sort of look at each other and smile. <laughs> Such a cute little sister moment where one, one sibling's going off on a rant that the other two just know is ridiculous. <laughs> oh, I see. Well, if you like those moments, take note of that because it's, that's the last one we'll have. Yeah, it's such a cute little moment. I just wanted to shout it out. Lydia says that she has no qualms leaving her on the streets and Lucy wonders if she's even really a mum to them at all. And we basically come to the conclusion that Lydia and Lucy don't care about her anymore. Or at least they're pretending not to do so, so that the net will take her in. Mm. Um, one of one or the other, we don't really know which one. But the fact that they're having to say it is pretty horrible enough. Yeah. And they even say that they they can help with money, but Lynette says that she doesn't want their money, and she'll take care of her mum all by herself. 
She then says that if they do want to help out, they need to not visit for the next few years because she isn't sure if she'll be done hating them. Mm. Parker then runs in asking where Grandma's going and we see that Stella's being driven off by a taxi. Yeah. But just, Stella might be difficult, but she's still your mum. And this whole storyline for this episode, I've just, I found so triggering. It was really sad. Just watching these three people fight over who loves them most it's you no it's you no you you're the one you love him more you love him more (laughs) we're finding about who loves you more oh carry on you love you love him more no you love him more but yeah they're just treating her like some flea-ridden dog or something like a family dog that one of them has to take it's just it's so horrible to just watch these siblings just sort of go at each other because neither of them want the responsibility of the mother despite the fact that Lynette makes some valid points you know, she gave birth to you, she brought you into this world, and it's kind of the way life goes. You yes. know, you end up taking care of your parents in also, the future. Lynette has a right to play the family card here. She does have a right to play the family card. She's got card. a big old family. Yeah. She's also just gotten over cancer. But if you are going to take care of her, maybe you should accept the money. <laughs> yeah. From your but, sisters. <laughs> like, the sisters are awful, and I don't blame Lynette. <laughs> <laughs> Your sisters are awful, and I don't blame Lynette for reacting this way, but she does not get off scot-free. No. Because she said some pretty shitty things as well. I also had cancer for four months, and if I had to ask one of them to leave, I wouldn't know which one. Like, that's a hurtful thing to say. Yeah. I'm not cause... sure which I would rather, you or the cancer. Like, <laughs> Yeah, because as we said, I thought that your relationship with your mum grew, Lynette. Yeah, it was, I thought it you was getting better. But I guess, I, I don't know. Yeah, well, those like, wounds go deep, and, and it's it also not... it's also a lot of talk to try and get one of the others to take her. Yeah, so I reckon a lot of things were said here that people didn't mean. Yeah, but you know, wounds like that go deep. So just being able to look at a person and say, "Yeah, no, it's 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 good. We're mending the relationship." It's they go so much deeper than that, which is also so a reason why we simple. can't be too harsh on the girls as well. No, of course not, but because of the relationship that everyone's had with their mum in this situation because it sounds like they all had a bit of a hard time with Stella. People have different relationships with their parents and you know sometimes a smarter thing is to cut them off Mm. you know to to cut out the member of the members of the family that aren't good for you and aren't making you feel good or helping you become the very best person of yourself. But she has nowhere to go no no money. But um, really great to see Lynette's family yeah, it was, and they. I think they did really well with the casting. Yeah, they all look similar enough to be sisters. <laughs> yeah, so and I liked it. Also, like that whole bit earlier with Lynette and Sarah Paulson and that little look that they had for each other just makes it all the better now that I know that they're actually really good friends. Who, um, Sarah Felicity Paulson Huffman and Felicity and Huffman. Huffman. Yeah, we said the names <laughs> the opposite way around. <laughs> Because it's Felicity show. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so they've been really, really good friends for years. Yeah. This isn't the first thing they've been in together. We then cut to Gabby and Carlos on the boat who find Victor in the water screaming, Gabby! And they pull him in. Miracle. Absolute miracle. He's quite shocked that she tried to kill him, but she just says, I came back for you, didn't I? And says that he wanted to... He just he says that he just wanted to talk to her. Yeah. This then leads to Victor and Carlos who start to argue about everything. And then Victor starts to beat up Carlos a bit. Only because, though, he um, got the jump on him, I will say. Yeah. He then comes for Carlos with a knife, and so Gabby whacks him over the head again with the oar and says that she's getting pretty good at that. Jesus, just psychopath. Victor is a psychopath. Get up, I want to see the look on your face when the knife goes in. I know, we've come 
full circle with Victor. Yeah. I think like, this, this is what we were leading up to. Carlos is looking terrified mm. at that moment when he's like, Victor's got the knife. But he could have easily kicked Victor's ankle, knock him to the floor, and then they tie him up till they got back to shore. Yeah, but he could have fallen on the knife, on him with the knife. Yeah. Um, but it's not so funny when Victor doesn't emerge from the water again. Mm-hmm. We then cut to nighttime, and apparently they looked for him for six hours, but he's gone, and they worry about how, well, they just killed someone. <laughs> no, he's dead. Gabby says that Carlos is the only one who knew that she was on a boat with him alone, so she makes up a story that he was depressed and suicidal, and they decide that they have to get rid of the boat. Yeah, but they better clean it first, considering it'll have both their fingerprints on that boat. Yeah, all over the place. Yeah. Like, it won't be so shocking to have Gabby's fingerprints on that boat. Like, yeah. that's, that won't be shocking, and they need to make sure... <laughs> I've thought about this. They need to make sure that they clean the boat, but only in places where Carlos has actually touched it. Yeah. Yeah, they need to get rid of all the evidence. Yeah. But, oh dear, we've, like, turned into this murder show. Yeah, I know. It's a, it's a spree now. It's a murder spree. Oh, my God. Who else are they going to kill? <laughs> so, Mike comes home to find Susan sitting on the stairs with a big bag of pills... But instead of asking why she has a big bag of pills and pretending it has nothing to do with him, Mike just says that whatever it is that Susan's thinking, it's not that. (laughs) (laughs) I can explain. Yeah. She says that she thinks that he's a drug addict and a liar and wonders why life is so hard for him that he has to take drugs and reminds him that they have a baby on the way. Mike then tells her that he's been taking pills because he's been in pain while working and his doctor advised him to stop working, but then he... They had to keep going and they needed things like strollers and school. Mm. It's a lot of pressure as an upcoming parent to make sure you can afford the best for your child. Yeah. Especially when you've got those around you that have children that are getting the best, you know, like Brie. Yeah, when you're not in a very high income household. Yeah. But Susan, can we not just make it about you for once? Oh, yeah, Please. she's instantly like, what have I done she was... so wrong that you have to take drugs? Yeah, I'm like, let's see what Mike has to say before we start being like, why do you hate me? Am I so bad? What did I do to deserve this? Very Susan moment. <laughs> <laughs> Mike says he just wants their baby to have a better life than him, and Susan says that he just needs a healthy dad who isn't addicted to drugs. The baby, that is. Mike... Not Susan. Yeah. <laughs> Mike promises to stop, and he even pours all of the pills down the drain to prove to Susan that he's being serious, and she thanks him, believing that this is the end of it. That don't mean shit. When I was smoking, I threw away so many packs of cigarettes because I was like, I'm done, I'm not smoking anymore, and then I just ended up buying a new pack. Oh, that's such a waste of money. It is a massive waste of money, but at the time, I was there like, I'm done, I'm not smoking, that's it, I'm done. And then, 20 minutes later, something would happen, and I'd be like, I need a fucking cigarette. (laughs) Yeah, that's addiction for you. That is addiction. So pouring those pills away doesn't necessarily mean anything. Yeah, exactly. Which we'll find out in one moment. Yeah, I was about to say. Mary Alice ends the episode narrating about deception. She says parents use it while dealing with inquisitive children, and we see Dylan having a stare-out-the-window moment of her own, while Catherine watches. Women use it to help keep secrets big and small, and we cut to a shot of Brie as she watches Orson with the baby. And I was wondering if that was a penis joke. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But (laughs) who can say? Lovers need it to cover up inconvenient accidents, and we see a shot of the boat driving off in the water while Gabby and Carlos watch together. Um, inconvenient accident? Murder? Mm, <laughs> okay. Yeah, just an inconvenient... Well, it was inconvenient. They didn't murder him deliberately. Good old Mary Alice. Yeah. She then says, Why do people resort to deception? Because it's a handy tool that helps us get exactly what we're looking for. And we see Mike getting up in the middle of the night to get the pills out of the drain. Gross. Those pills will be gross. I know. That's Ugh. disgusting. Addicts will do whatever they can, though, to be able to get their fix. So for Mike, he's not really caring about the hygiene. 
after he poured it down the drain, Susan then should have pressed that button that, you know, destroys everything in the, the drain. The garbage compactor or whatever. Not yeah. compactor, like the garbage disposal. Yeah. Yeah. Which Americans have for but some strange reason. That is how addiction works. Yeah. He's going to get his fix. He will get his fix. He doesn't care about the hygiene. Even if it's covered in grime and soap scum. And food. Old food. Oh. <laughs> He'll just rinse them off. He'll just rinse them off. It's fine. It's fine. Gross. <laughs> gross, gross, gross. It, it's gross. gross. It's gross. But Mike. No, Mike. Yeah, we've got a quite a, a dark storyline with Mike here. Again. Mm, again. But now this one's about addiction. Mike has a hard time. He does have a difficult time with that. Yeah. And... That's where the episode ends. Yeah. I loved all of the detective stuff, all the investigations. I thought it was a really good episode. I really enjoyed this episode. It was decent. It mm. had some good funny moments as well. Yeah, it had some good, like, extras, cast members, like, some some new, like, cameos and things. It was really good. So let's move over to our next segment where Joel is going to give us the gayest and the straightest moment of the episode. So, Joel, what was the gayest moment of the episode? So the gayest moment... goes to Lydia for needing to consult your therapist before you meet your family. <laughs> I'd say that's very gay. I, I, yeah, that's that's a mood. I get it completely. 100%. If I had a therapist, I'd do the same. <laughs> Being anxious to meet family. Yeah. 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 So, um, bravo to Lydia. Sarah Paulson for the one episode you've been in for already getting an award. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you have for the straightest moment? Uh, for So, my award for straightest moment... I don't really have a, I don't have an award for straightest moment. Oh, okay, fair enough. I, didn't, I couldn't really think of anything that really screamed like straight, like straight moment. That's all right. We still got to play the sting. Yeah. So um, yeah, there's there's no award for straightest moment this week. I did really have a good think, and I probably could have found something if I was grasping at straws, but I don't really want to do that. Mm. Straightest moment has been redacted from the Oscars this year. Y- yes. Yeah. Uh, so that's my award, my one single award for this week. So bravo, Lydia. Um, and now we move on to B's segment, which is best and worst parents. So B, who do you have for the best parent of the episode? My award for best parent of the episode. This this award was hella tough to do this week. Mm. I didn't know who to give it to, so I just decided to give it to Lynette because she does some shady stuff in the episode, but she kind of makes up for it at the end when she decides um, to take in her mum when Lucy and Lydia wouldn't. Yeah, when it's too late and her mum's driven her off. Yeah, and she also cleans up the treehouse. That was nice. Yeah, that was nice. That was nice of her. But I'm really <laughs> yeah. scraping the barrel again. I mean, I'm surprised she didn't give it to Orson, really. What for? For his um, attempts to stop Bree from circumcising their child. Well, he failed. Well, he did fail, but he <laughs> legitimately tried. And if Bree wasn't invited to that briss wouldn't have happened yeah okay well um bravo to lynette for best parent and who do we have for the worst parent of the episode so my award for worst parent of the episode it was between two people but at the end i gave it to brie for obvious reasons was it between brie and stella no oh okay <laughs> it was between brie and Catherine. don't think i don't see you Catherine. oh yeah <laughs> i kind of completely <laughs> forgot about that you're playing a dangerous game over there miss mayfair mm-hmm. mrs mayfair i yeah, see you she is i see you queen but the award went to brie well yeah understandably yeah i don't have to explain why no we really shouldn't have to explain why <laughs> if um, you want to know why re-listen to the episode <laughs> 
pretty much. Uh, so yeah, those those were our awards. So bravo to Lynette and Bree. Yeah, good job. <laughs> so that was the end of the episode. Um, as of recording this episode, we've just switched over providers for this podcast. So we used to upload on SoundCloud, which is also how we got it onto Spotify, Apple Podcasts and all that. And we have switched over from SoundCloud to another site called Anchor, which is also a place where you can do your podcasting. It's actually designed for podcasting. The main reason is because Anchor's free. Yeah, we're, we're people of limited uh, funds here, guys. And on SoundCloud, you need to pay a certain amount a month if you want to upload more than three hours mm. altogether. So we are now using Anchor. We will still be on Spotify and all of the other places, except for SoundCloud, because yeah. you just can't be on SoundCloud for more than three hours without paying. Yeah. And this podcast is isn't a financial thing no yeah it's not bringing us any money so yeah we're doing this for fun so joel if anyone wants to chat with us if they have any questions queries comments and theories where can they find us you can find us on instagram at boyfriends review and you can find us on twitter at bfs review our email address is boyfriends review at outlook.com and all of our artwork is done by our friend Louis, who you can find on Instagram at DocRedMonkDesign. And there's a link to his Etsy page where he does <laughs> commissions. He does, yes. So thank you for listening. Join us next week where we'll be doing Season 4, Episode 8, Distant Past. <gasps> dun dun dun. <laughs> See you then, guys. See you then, guys. Bye.